So glad that you're here tonight. Delighted somebody came, amen. Very blessed to see Andrew and Laura Steers here together this evening. Brother Andrew's been wandering around like a lost puppy a few times and glad he's got his wife together. And I was thinking about how many times that they sat and listened to me preach in New Zealand years ago, and it's just a blessing to see you both here. Thank you, Laura, for coming, making the effort. Good to see my in-laws here. Uh, my mother-in-law's family just had a reunion up in Montana this past week, and they were scheduled to fly back yesterday, and they had a layover in O'Hare. And so I called the airline, and I said, could we extend that layover? She said, how much? I said, about a week. <laughs> so they're going to stay with us for the next week or so, and I'm so glad that they're here, and always a blessing to have mom and dad with us at the house. and just makes the house better, amen, and uh, just good people. Um, I'm leaving Tuesday morning. Be taking Brother Pins and Brother Vanderhoot, and uh, well, <laughs> I'm not leaving because of my father-in-law. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Daryl Otis and Luke and uh, Brother Palmer and I were all headed out on uh, Tuesday morning, and we're flying over to Thailand. Haven't been there for two and a half years, very much looking forward to going home for a little while. And uh, we'll be going into Laos. Uh, Brother Kampai called me. He's been training two young men for years for the ministry. And we were on the phone a few months ago, and he said, Brother Bushy, it's kind of my dream that you would be able to come and ordain these two young men. And uh, I said, well, I've, I've not been vaccinated, and I'm, not, I'm trying not to be. And so but might have to wait till the, the doors open there. And while we were talking, I was typing and checking and found out as we were talking that, that uh, Laos had changed the rules on, the, on being vaccinated 12 days earlier. And I said, I think I'm going to come. And so I talked to Pastor and, and uh, he okayed that. And so we're headed over there and we're going to see the, uh, uh, the Erold family, Eddie and Cindy Erold in Nao Wong. And we'll see Brother Kumpai in Laos and we'll go down for a couple of days and see the team down in Hua Hin. And um, uh, next Wednesday, not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday night, I'll be preaching in Hua Hin, and they're going to bring the two churches together, the other church being the church that my father-in-law started in the village of Nong Plop many years ago, now pastored by Kun Pong and uh, Star and Brother Chad Inman, and uh, looking forward to, to going and seeing that work there, Dad. Mom and Dad both turn 80 this year, and uh, God has just given them a miraculous strength and a uh, wonderful family, and I'm so glad. I married well, amen. I got an amazing wife. And she came with an amazing family, and I'm just very blessed uh, that they're here. Brother Judah said this morning that, um, it's, that uh, Sunday morning is supposed to be a pat on the back, and Sunday night is supposed to be a kick in the pants. And uh, this morning he delivered the kick in the pants. And uh, I was glad, because my sermon is a pat on the back. And I, I really think the Lord did that. I really think that uh, God has kind of been putting this sermon in my heart and my mind for a while. Um, I was yesterday afternoon, I was in a little town of Wakefield, Rhode Island, and I was attending a funeral there for Brother Rick Nesbitt. Some of you that have been around a while, you know that name, and you may know Brother Rick well. Uh, Brother Rick Nesbitt was from, he's from my hometown, and was my Sunday school teacher when I was a 12-year-old boy. Uh, we started, uh, we, I grew up in a Christian Reformed church, and, um, when I was about 12, we started going to a Bible church that was started by a Bob Jones graduate named Tom Asbury, and uh, started attending that little church in Palmyra, New York. And uh, very early on, 
One of my Sunday school teachers was a great big giant of a man named Rick Nesbitt. I was 12, and he was about six foot five, and uh, I thought he was Goliath. But um, I, I, I remember sitting in that classroom as a 12-year-old boy, and I don't, I don't remember a single lesson that he taught. Uh, I'm sure he taught a lot of good lessons, and I'm sure they're part of me now. But what I do remember very clearly is that he encouraged us as young men to memorize all 66 books of the Bible in order. And he had a plan. Every Sunday we'd go in and he had three by five cards and we would write out five books of the Bible in order and we would work on them and the next week five more and the next week five more until we had, as a, as a group of young teenage boys, we'd memorized all 66 books in order. And many times I've been in a sword drill and I've opened my Bible to Nahum or Obadiah or Philemon and said, thank you, Brother Rick, for teaching me the books of the Bible in order because I can find them. And, uh, and then 40-some 40, 40 years later, I was in language school and learning the books of the Bible again in another language and just used the same system. If you've never memorized all 66 books of the Bible in order, let me encourage you to do that, would you? It's our book, amen? We ought to know our book. And, uh, and I, that's just one of those things that he did for me. And then uh, Brother Rick got called to preach. I think I probably was saved before he was. He got saved as an adult. Uh, our pastor knocked on his door, won him to Christ, and he started bringing his family to church and became a Sunday school teacher, and then God called him to preach, and he came here to Hiles Anderson College. Uh, you may remember the story. Uh, he and his wife got here, and they, uh, they brought a, a U-Haul truck and got a hotel room for the first night and went out the next morning, and the truck had been stolen, and everything that they owned was gone. And Brother Rick told me about uh, Brother Hiles bringing he and his family up to the front of the auditorium and everybody uh, walking past and just loading them up till they had armloads of cash to kind of rebuild and start over again. But uh, Brother Rick Nesbitt became the bus captain of Route 103. And 103 was in South Chicago. And when I got called to, pre when I got called to preach and I, I started getting ready to come to Hiles Anderson College, he called me the week before I came to college. And he said, Brother Mark, he said, when you get here, a lot of people are going to ask you to be on their bus route. It was allowed back then. You could attack people in the parking lots and tackle them and, and make it. Anyway, he said, uh, he said a lot of people are going to try to get you on their bus route. You tell them all that you're already on a bus route. You're on Route 103. And so I actually came here the weekend before college started and <clears throat> went visiting on Route 103 and rode the bus that Sunday. I was in the bus ministry before I was at Hiles Anderson College. And Brother Rick was my bus captain for the first two years that I was there. It was a good bus route. Uh, Brother Doug Cole was on our route. He was my bus calling partner. And Ed Russ and Brad Boroff were on that route. And Miss Patty Garrett, she wasn't Miss Patty Garrett then, but she was one of our workers. We had some good lady workers. Just had a good bus route. And uh, then when Brother Rick Nesbitt left, and uh, when he finished college and graduated and left, the next bus captain of that bus route was a guy named John Wilkerson. And so uh, Brother Rick was just, he was one of those men that was a mentor to me. And uh, so yesterday I was there, and I shared some of that at the funeral and just talked a little bit about it. And uh, afterwards I was talking to his son Rob, and, and Rob's two boys are here tonight, Mark and Caleb. Uh, but Brother Rob said to me, he said, Brother Mark, he said, it just feels a little early. He said, it just, you know, it just feels like my dad should have been here for about another 10 years or so. I said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, you, you, he said, how old are you? And I, I told him I'm 56. He's uh, 47, 48. And uh, he said, your dad's still living. I said, yeah. He said, I just felt like my dad ought to be around for another 10 years. And, and uh, he, got, he got, kind of got choked up. And, 
And uh, I thought to myself, so often life doesn't go the way we thought it should. I mean, we got all of our plans, don't we? We've got all of our ideas on how it's supposed to work, and then all of a sudden, life takes a sudden sharp turn to the left or to the right, or sometimes it just, you know, drops like an elevator with a cut cable. It just, it just falls out from under us, and, and that's the way life is. Life doesn't go the way that we think it's supposed to go. I also, this last week, had a dear friend of mine come to my office, and, and uh, we were talking together about some things that he's having to carry, and we cried a little bit together. We prayed together. And he made this statement, and he's here tonight. He said, Brother Mark, he said, you just never think it's going to be you. And I think sometimes we feel that too, don't we? Those things come. We, we go to the doctor's office, and we hear the word cancer, and we think, oh, I never, never thought that would be me. Or we lose a loved one suddenly, and we think, oh, that, that wasn't supposed to be me. I remember uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I was at a funeral of a parent that lost a child. And uh, they said to me, they said, Brother Mark, it's not supposed to be this way should be the children burying the parents and not the other way around. And sometimes life, life goes that way. I, I got a text this week from a pastor who got COVID. And it's the, uh, what they call long COVID. And just been struggling with the symptoms week after week after week. And he, he called me and, and uh, he sent me a text, asked me to call. And I called him back. And, and as soon as he answered the phone, he just broke down and just began weeping. He said, Brother Mark, I've had a migraine headache for the last week. And, and uh, he said, just, just a couple days ago, I started getting a ringing in my ear. And it's, it's not like tinnitus. It's just, it's so loud, I can't hardly think. And, and uh, he just wept. And, and he said, it's, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, just, just so many people carrying burdens. Uh, even this morning, I, I talked very briefly to somebody else that's in this room. And, and they said, uh, somebody got into their checking account and stole some money and then uh, then got some uh, private information and tried to list their house and sell their house out from under them. And, and uh, well, it's, that's not supposed to happen that way. But you know, Brother Hiles used to say, when you, when you preach to pe- people with broken hearts, you'll never, you'll never struggle for an audience. Uh, life is full of trouble as, as the sparks fly upward. That was Job's famous statement. And, and the truth is, uh, life is full of burdens and cares. It is a struggle. It is difficult. And especially, we, we're, we're blessed here in America because we have 24-7 media that constantly tells us how bad that it is and uh, helps remind us how horrible life is. And, and uh, it's all around us all the time. But I want you to go back, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want you to look. Uh, they're all good verses. And Brother Keith, thank you for reading those for us tonight. But I want to focus on verse 7 where the Bible says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I don't know what your heartache is tonight, but I imagine that if we took time, and it would take hours, but if we took time and just went around the room and said, why don't you tell us what what you're struggling with? What's the burden that you're carrying right now? What's, What's coming up on your calendar that's got you a little unsettled? That everybody would have something. Because that's just the way that life is. There are some here that have lost parents. Some here that have lost children. There are some here with health problems. Some with financial problems. Some with job problems. Some with marriage problems. Some with child-rearing problems. Some with relationship problems. Some are struggling with the past. Some are struggling with the future. And you've got something weighing on you right now. God says, will you trust me? 
Will you come and cast your care upon me? Somebody said one time, we often read this verse and we cast our care upon, uh, upon the Lord a lot like a people cast a fishing rod. They cast and then they reel it right back. And sometimes we do that, don't we? Here, God, here's my problem. I'll hang on to it for you, though, God, just in case you can't take care of it. And and, uh, we don't really let go. We have problems. We take them to the Lord, and then we keep them in our back pocket, or we keep them in our purse, and we we, we refuse to let go of them. But what God's saying is, give me your problem. I I care about it as much as you do. I care about it more than you do. I'm not going to preach anything new tonight. I just want to remind you of some things that God's word says is true. And, uh, and I, want to, I, I just want to encourage you tonight that God does care. Amen. That God hasn't forgot about any of you. That God hasn't uh, neglected to pay attention. That, that God's not ignoring you. That God loves you and God invites you. And God says, come and, and whatever it is that's weighing you down, come and give it to me. That you can have that peace that passeth understanding. Because we have a God that loves us. Whatever your problem is, the first thing I want to remind you of tonight is that God has approved it. Nothing has ever happened in our lives that God did not say was okay. That everything goes through that filter and God looks at us and God knows God knows what you can handle. God knows better than you know what you can handle. We, we often say, well, I, don't, I see somebody going through that situation and, and, and I could never deal with that. I don't know how they're doing it. And yet, if that situation did come, God would give you the grace to handle it and you could make it. And whatever comes, God's already said, it's okay. Uh, when, when, when the last election happened, uh, I watched a lot of Christians and uh, they, they were falling apart. Boy, there goes America, and there goes the future, and, and uh, boy, it's, it's just, you know, it's the end is coming. It's, it's all over now, and, and uh, here we are almost two years later, and guess what? We're still breathing. We're still going to work. We're still eating. We're still sleeping at night, and when, when Joe Biden was elected as our president, God didn't go, oops, didn't take him by surprise. I remember years ago, I was driving in the car with my dear friend, Sakrapi Jomhong, and uh, it was a Saturday, and we were out making some visits on a Saturday morning in, in uh, northern Bangkok. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, Brother Socrates, I've got a little, a little sore inside my left ear here. And, and uh, it's it kind of a little tiny red spot, and it, it scabbed over. But then the scab fell off, and the sore was still there. And, and it scabbed over again. A little while later, the scab fell off, and the sore was still there. And, and it's probably done that five or six times. And uh, Brother Sockby said, you need to go look, you need to go see a doctor. And uh, immediately I started thinking, okay, today's Saturday and Sunday's full. And Monday I've got staff meeting. And I said, maybe, maybe Tuesday afternoon. And while I said Tuesday afternoon, he was turning the car around. And drove straight to the hospital and took me right inside and said, this man needs to see a doctor. And I remember sitting in the waiting room after they had examined and they did a, a little topical biopsy there, pricked me with a pin and, and, uh, and I'm sitting there waiting and I could hear them talking in the other room and they were kind of talking in hushed tones and I, I heard them say, Marang. Marang is the Thai word for cancer. And my stomach just kind of dropped onto my shoes. And I said, no, no, that's, that's other people. Not me. And going through the process of 
having a skin graft and having that cancer removed and a skin graft put over its place. And please, after church, don't everybody come by and try to look at my left ear to see what it looks like. I'll show you if you want to see it, okay? You don't have to stare. But, uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was not supposed to happen to me. And it was, it was one of those things that just unsettled for a while. But it didn't surprise God. It didn't throw him off at all. In fact, he, he knew before the foundations of the world began that that was going to happen. And he said, I think that's what's good for Mark. And he let that happen. And I think we need to rem- be reminded that whatever comes in our life, that God, God said it's okay. I don't believe that God brings evil, but I do believe that God allows evil. I don't think God sends harm, but I believe that God allows harm. And God allows bad things to happen to good people. And that doesn't mean that God's lost control. Can I read a few verses to you tonight? You don't need to turn there if you don't want to. You certainly can if you'd like to. They're all in Proverbs. The first one is Proverbs 16, verse 9. The Bible says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. I have a calendar. Uh, I learned from Dr. Ray Young to have a calendar. Uh, Dr. Ray Young said, he taught us that you ought to have a calendar and it ought to go 12 months out. And every time that you get to the end of a month, throw that month out. And and, uh, if it's the end of January, then you start January of next year. Then when you get to the end of February, you put that one aside and start February of next year. And you've already got a calendar that's 12 months out. And I did that for a while and I thought, this is is kids play. I'm going to go two years out. And so I've got a calendar that goes all the way to November of 2024 now. And uh, and I, I like planning ahead. I enjoy that. I like I like looking. We sometimes I'll, I'll say to my kids, "Hey, tonight we're going to go home after church, and we're going to have a calendar meeting." And they all go, "Oh, Dad!" <laughs> For some reason, they don't enjoy it as much as I do. My wife puts up with it. The kids just kind of groan through it. But I like calendar meetings. I like sitting down and saying, "What are we going to be doing?" You know, in, in September of next year, and I'm excited. I, we're going to do a mastermind in Turkey in October of 2023, and I'm, I'm already excited about that. I can't can't wait. I'm already planning for that. I like looking ahead. But you know what? God is God, and God has the right to change my calendar any time that He wants to. We do. We 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 make our decisions and we make our plans. But God's the one that directs our steps. And sometimes God's path goes a very different direction than your path. And that's okay. Because he's God. And he's allowed to do that. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. We make our choices and God brings the results. Proverbs 19.21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Whatever's happening, God said it's okay. Here's a young couple and they're expecting a child. And they, they start making plans and a hope start to arise. And then, and then she loses the baby. Gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, and God let it happen. Here's somebody that makes plans for, a, for an engagement, and maybe even the ring goes on the finger, and then before the wedding altar, things fall apart. Broken dreams and heartache. And God says, it's okay. I knew that was going to happen, and I let it happen. A lot of times, God chooses things that we don't choose, but... He's a lot smarter than we are. 
His ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And God says, it's okay. It didn't catch me by surprise. Just want you to know that I knew it was coming. Second thing I want to remind you of is that you can trust him. You can trust him. He loves you. He loves you. I've got a verse that I've been meditating on this past week and enjoying over and over and over again. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to start reading in verse 4. And uh, we're starting in verse 4 as a lead-up to verse 7, which is where it gets really, really good. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Uh, not, Not an average love. His great love. Not, not love like you love your grandkids, but his great love. Not love like you love your spouse, but his great love. His love makes our love for each other look like hate. His great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God says, I want you to know I love you. I'm being kind to you. I'm gracious toward you. And I really believe that each of us needs to make a conscious decision to believe that God loves me. So that when things don't go the way that I think they ought to go, when my plans fall apart and my dreams are are destroyed, that I can look at God and I can say, God, I believe that you love me because you said that you love me. And I'm going to choose to trust the God that cannot lie instead of listening to the master of lies that says that God does not love me. I'm just going to decide that. I know that if cancer comes, God loves me. I know that if a loved one dies, that God loves me. I know that if I have a financial loss, that God loves me. I know that if I lose my job, God loves me. I know that if someone else says they hate me, that God still loves me because God says so. And whatever's happening in my life, God allowed it to happen. He chose to have it come, and he loves me in spite of the fact that it came. I want you to remember that. Not only does God say that I know it it was coming and, and that I love you through it, but I want to remind you tonight that he's with you while it's happening. What a blessed thought. I love that song this morning. I, I told Mrs. Christy Hubbard, I said, I, I listened to you sing your testimony this morning. And uh, it was very moving because she was singing her story, but she also sang well. Amen. They all sang, did, did a good job singing, but what a, what a moving thought that God's with us the whole way. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I love the story of Job. I, I, they, they, it's been said that it's the oldest book in our Bible chronologically. I, I suspect that's true. And the very first story we read chronologically in the Bible is a story of the devil going and accusing someone. And, and, uh, and, and God said, hey, have you, have you considered my servant Job? Have you been looking at this guy over here? I've been watching him. He's an upright, he's righteous, he, he's, he fears me, he eschews evil, and I've been watching him. And the devil said, well, I'd like to, I'd like to try it out. I'd like to throw some, throw some trials in his way, and I'll bet he'll curse you. And God said, I allow that. I love Job, but I allow that. 
And what's interesting is in chapter 2, when the devil comes back and, uh, and he's walking before the Lord, the first thing God says is, hey, have you noticed how Job did? Because God knew how Job did. Because God hadn't gone anywhere. When you're going through your trial, God's right there. He's not forgotten about you. He's not ignoring you. He's not neglecting you. He's right there with you. The Bible says in Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Did you notice it doesn't say the valley of death? Because for a Christian, the valley of death has no fear. Death is our passage into eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. It says the valley of the shadow of death. That's where it's hard. Not the passing into eternity. Last yesterday as I was standing looking at that casket and seeing the body of Brother Rick Nesbitt lying there. Brother Rick's doing great. Amen. He has no problems. He'll never have another stroke. He's got no pain. He's the happiest he's ever been through and will be. I mean, he's in heaven. He's with Jesus Christ right now. Everything's fine. But last week was hard. Because last week was the shadow. And that's where Jesus said he is. When you're in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, that's when I'm going to be with you. My rod and my staff, they comfort me. I, I, when I was living in New Zealand, I had a couple of friends that were, that were shepherds. I got to know a little bit about sheep and shepherds living in a country where the year that we moved there in 1996, there were three and a half million people and 56 million sheep. It was about 16 to 1 the year that I moved there. And uh, I learned some about sheep and I learned some about shepherds. And, and a shepherd told me, he said, he said Brother Mark, the, the rod is the correcting end of the stick and the staff is the pulling end of the stick. The rod is for punishment and the staff is for comfort. And either way, he's right there. You say, I think God's punishing me. Aren't you glad he's close? I feel God comforting me. Aren't you glad he's close? I don't feel God at all. Aren't you glad he's close? He's there all the time. Amen. He's always with us. And what a blessing that is. I, I love in, in uh, the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel were taken out of the land of Egypt and brought out into the wilderness, and, and uh, they were a little bit lost. They'd been slaves their whole lives. And for the first time, they had to find their own food, and they had to cook their own meals, and they had to... They had to uh, they had, produce their own homes and they had to make their decisions for themselves and it was a little bit overwhelming and and at some point they said well I, I think I think you'd be better off if we just went back and they told us what to do again we could eat the food that we're familiar with and God said I'm going to give you something special I'm going to give you a pillar of fire at night and cloud in the day because you need to know that I'm here I'm with you you're in the wilderness. You're having to eat man off the ground and we'll drink water from a rock and, and worried about enemies coming and, and still trying to figure out freedom all over. I mean, you just just, just trying, trying to get all the, all the lifestyle of being a free person figured out. And, and I'm right here the whole time. When you go through a major life change, whatever it is for you, isn't it wonderful to know that God's right there? God said, I want you to know whatever happens in your life, I allowed it to happen. And I want you to know that while it's happening that I love you. 
And I want you to know that while it's happening that I promise to be there with you. And then lastly, I want you to remember <clears throat> that I know best. I know best. Two weeks before my 11th birthday, <clears throat> my mom gave birth to my brother, Matthew. I have three sisters. I have one brother, Matthew Paul. And uh, if anybody here has three sisters, you know what it's like to want a brother. And man, did I want a brother. And when, when Matthew was born, of course, back then, we didn't have gender reveals. We didn't know until the day they were born what we were going to have. And, and I was so scared to death I was going to end up with a fourth sister. And uh, God was good, and I had a brother. And I remember the, my mom bringing him home, and we had a little bassinet. We put it in the living room right by the fireplace. And, and I think I've seen pictures of me as a, a little 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old boy standing there next to that little bassinet. My brother lying in the bassinet, my two sisters hovering over. Uh, so thrilled they got to mother another, another brother. But anyway... Uh, just thinking about, boy, one day we're going to go out, we're going to play ball together. We're going to go fishing together. I'm going to teach this, this little guy everything he needs to know to make it in life. I'm going to be the best older brother there ever was. And uh, a couple days later, my parents had to take him back to the hospital. Something wasn't right. And the doctors told my mom and dad, they said, we, we found that your son was born with a birth defect and he has a, a mass of veins about the size of a softball that are entwined in the stem of his brain in the back of his head there. And um, <clears throat> he's probably not going to live past 10 days. And if he does, he'll be mentally retarded. And I saw my dad cry for the first time in my life. I saw them standing in the kitchen with their arms wrapped around each other and just weeping together. My brother lived two years and two months. And he died just after my 13th birthday. He's in heaven. I'm looking forward to meeting him. He's in, in his mid-40s now. And I mean, I guess if you get older in heaven, I don't know. But uh, looking forward to going fishing and playing ball in heaven together. But it was horrible as a young teenager to lose my brother. All, all those dreams, all those goals that we had, uh, everything that I thought was going to happen just fell apart. And not only that, but for the last six months or so of his life, my, he, he basically lived at the hospital up in Rochester, New York, and my parents were gone sometimes for days at a time. My grandma Bushy would come and stay in the house and take care of us while my parents stayed up at the hospital and, and held Matthew. And, and then, then one day my mom came home and said, Mark, he's gone. I was holding him in my arms when he went to heaven. And I lost my brother. And I, I didn't understand that. That didn't seem right to me. It just, you know, I, I heard that God loves me, but that didn't feel like he loved me. I heard that God was fair, but it didn't feel fair. just felt like I'd been deprived of something that I was looking forward to and anticipating so much. But I look back years later, and I think about what happened during the two years and two months of my brother's life. Because when Matthew was born, we were attending a church that was extremely Calvinistic. I'd never heard the gospel preached from the pulpit one time in my life. 
And when my brother was born, my parents started asking questions. They went to the minister, and, and he wasn't able to provide any solutions. And so they began to ask other questions. And that was one of the main reasons that we started attending Palmyra Bible Church and why I met Rick Nesbitt and, and why my whole family got baptized by immersion. And that's the first time that we ever heard about soul winning and standards. And that's the first time I ever saw somebody preach. It's also during that two years and two months that God called me into the ministry and then a couple months later called me to be a missionary. And I look back years later and I think, I I wish I had a brother, but you know, God knew best. I wonder how many times somebody's walked through the gates of heaven and walked up to my brother Matthew and shook his hand and said, I'm here because your brother won me to Christ in a foreign country and... He was there because of you. See, I don't know everything God's doing. You don't know everything God's doing. But what he's doing is good. What he's doing is best. And although I can't understand, I can't see how it all happens, I I know that God's doing some great things. In October of 2011, I was pastoring a thriving exciting church in the northern suburbs of Bangkok, Thailand. We were averaging over 300 every Sunday. We were running uh, 10 or 12 bus or truck routes and picking people up. We were having people saved and baptized every single Sunday. It was, it was amazing. One Sunday I stood up and I preached and there were about 320 people there and we had I think four or five people get saved and I I baptized six people after the morning service. The next Sunday, I was three hours south in a hotel room and our church was under three feet of water. We lost our home, we lost our church buildings, we lost our language school, we lost vehicles, we lost Bibles. We lost everything. And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand God. God, why would you let that happen? Why would you, why would you send six families over here and then shut us down so strongly? God, are you there? What's going on? And for me, it felt like God had messed up. I, mean, I hate to say that, but... I was there. I was, I was wrestling with, you know, is God really is paying attention here? Maybe he forgot about Thailand. And I went through a hard time for a while. Until finally the day came where I had to say, God, you let this happen. You let it happen, and you love me, and it's okay. Because you know best. I'm going back to Thailand this week. I'm going to go to Hua Hin. There's a church there that's averaging around 180, 200 every Sunday that's there because we had to move to Hua Hin because of the flood. I'm going to go to see the church in Nong Plop, which is there because we had to move to Hua Hin because of the flood. I'm going to visit pastors that got called into the ministry that are now pastoring churches Because of the flood. I'm going to go see Brother Eddie Arold, who reopened the original church there in Nawong, and that church is instrumental in starting seven other churches in northeastern Thailand because of the flood. I imagine that 
in the early church when things were booming in Jerusalem and people were getting saved every day and uh, persecution came. I imagine there were some Christians there that scratched their head and said, what is God doing? This is the first church and, and we're, we're going gangbusters here. Why is he making it so hard? Not seeing that God was scattering them abroad so that he could cover the planet with churches. God always knows best. He's always got the best plan. I, I, I don't know what you're struggling with tonight. I don't know what your burden is, but I can promise you that God has approved it and you can trust him and that he's right there with you in the midst of it and he knows best. And I want to encourage you tonight to take that burden, that struggle, that worry, that fear, and cast it on him. Take it to him and say, Lord, I can't carry this. It's too much for me. You know, sometimes God puts things on us that are too much for us to try to force us to come to him. And if we're not careful, we'll end up struggling and stumbling around trying to carry a load that is intentionally too much for us to carry, and we're blaming God and acting like he's doing us wrong when he's saying, bring it over here. I gave you something you can't handle, so you'll come closer and let me handle it for you. That peace that passeth understanding comes when we take our struggles and we give it to God. We say, God, I don't understand it, but I trust you. I know that you love me. I know that you're with me every step of the way. I know that you know what's best, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I'm going to pray and I'm going to open the altar. Whatever you're carrying, if it's too big for you, this is your opportunity. You don't have to come to the altar to do this, but I would encourage you to. Kind of a physical representation of what you're doing in your heart. Come down here and say, God, I'm going to put it on these steps. And when I go back to my seat, it's going to stay here on the steps. I can't carry this. You know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. When, when he's pulling, it's easy. Jesus said, my burden is light. When he's carrying it, it's light. When you're doing it all by yourself, it's so hard. Would you cast your care on Jesus tonight? He's already approved it. He loves you. He's with you. And he wants to help you with it.